So, all right, guys, we're going to get started this morning. And uh, what I want to talk a little bit about today is identity. I feel that that's a challenging thing more than ever in our culture, and I'm not going to get into the political side of things, so everybody take a deep breath. We're not talking about that this morning. Not that we won't someday, but we're not this morning. But we're all looking for this identity. We're all looking at some point, and, and it's so different in different stages of life from what your identity looks like as a child to as a teenager to a young adult to an adult to parent to grandparent. And for me, I know one of the big parts of my life when I'm contemplating identity, I usually find some kind of connection to different songs and music. And so I wanted to play a few songs this morning in, in humor. Um, no, I'm kidding. These are very serious, emotionally deep, spiritual songs. They're not. They're not. But it's going to be fun. So let's play that first one and see if you guys remember this one. This is like my childhood young adult happening right now. It was quiet in my... <laughs> We'll have Liz check that out. I could just sing it, and we'll, we probably would all know it. We'll, we might have to get there if, if uh, I'd rather not. Because <laughs> if not, I'm just going to talk There we go. Junior high skating rink action happening right there. All-Star by Smash Mouth talking about how shoot for the stars, you're a rock star, you're the greatest, you can be everything you want to be, just put yourself out there and try, that can be your identity. Let's cross our fingers and hope the next one works too, let's try that. Because you know I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble, I'm all about that bass. Oh, I gotta be careful here, alright, that's good. So... Song about your physical appearance, being happy with who you are, embracing your physicality, being proud of, of what God gave you, right? Another song, so that's identity. Let's, uh, let's play this next one. This is how you remind me of what I really am. It's not okay, like you. Did we play Nickelback in church? We did. Am I proud of it? No. But we did it. We all do things we're not proud of sometimes. Song by Nickelback, How You Remind Me, it's about a relationship and how that relationship kind of defines this guy. And when he's with her, he's reminded of who he really is, how relationships define us sometimes. And the last one, my favorite one on the list. If you have ever competed in anything... From racing from here to there to the television to winning a board game to being in competitive sports, at some point this song has probably been involved in your life. It's some defining moment of winning something. And I love that song of we are the champions. We, we can do that. We are the champions. Um, one that I didn't list on here because there are too many to pick from, but there are a, I, I want to say all of the rap songs. <laughs> that talk about how awesome I am and how great I am at everything and how perfect my life is and how all of the money and all of the things and all of the friends and all of the fame define me in my life. Uh, shout out to DJ Khaled with We The Best Music. If you're gonna, right? You know, We The Best, right? That's what his label's called. It's this definition of, of I'm the greatest at this, I'm the best at what I do. So what I wanted to look at with that 
today is we have all of these songs, and there are so many songs. If we had actually had the time and we sat down and talked individually and just opened this up to a forum, there's probably a song, maybe more serious than these, that means something to you in your life, that has some kind of defining moment about a, a connection to your identity. And we all have those. But one thing I think that we look over a lot of the times is that on Sunday morning, we come in here and we sing countless songs week in and week out about what our identity is. And the big question that I want for us to answer today as we're we're here talking about this as we open up God's word is these songs can say that we're this and these people in our life can say that we're this and these influences in our culture can say that we're this, but what does God say that we are? And what I want to focus on is we, we uh, brought in a new song this week. It was the third song we sang. It was called, uh, I Am Who You Say I Am. And we're going to take different parts of that song and talk about biblically what God's trying to say about your identity, about you, about me, and about who we are in light of who God is. That opening line in that song, I am who you say I am, it says, who am I that the highest king would welcome me? And again, it's one of those things we can sing so flippantly, but I want to break it down for just a minute and really look at that. Highest king. That's saying that if this is true and if you buy into scripture and you buy into the Bible and you believe that what it says is true, the Bible defines God as the highest king. That means he's the ruler of everything. He's the king of the universe. Everything that he has created, he has dominion over. And that means that if God created us, We belong to him. We are in his kingdom. We are under his authority as the highest king. And every great ruler that we have is still under God's authority as the highest king. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? And I know some of us are like, well, that's easy. I'm awesome. So, of course, God would welcome me. I'm I'm the greatest. I'm the champion But maybe if that's not how you feel and you're a little more like me of like, no, I'm a mess. My life is often in pieces and feels upside down and I don't know how I'm going to get it back together and I just feel like I'm running around in circles and can't figure, why would God want anything to do with my mess? Why would the highest king want anything to do with welcoming me in, into his presence? Psalm 47 just confirms this, saying, For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. And that's another one. We look at those and we start breaking down some of those words and we go, well, that doesn't really sound right. That doesn't sound like uh, Sunday school God. We're supposed to fear God? God is to be feared? What does that mean? What does that look like? And I think a lot of what that breaks down for us is that we, we aren't super familiar with kingship. That's not something we have experienced in in our lifetime and our culture. But when you start researching and you go back to the time when this was written and the time where kings ruled the earth, they did, they ruled their kingdoms. It's a very different experience than what we have in our day-to-day life. See, the king was the center and the focus of everything that happened in the kingdom. And everything radiated out from the king to serve his purpose. To be before the king in that time was not something that everyone was awarded the privilege to do. As a low-level peasant, servant, slave of the king, the chances that you would actually be before the king and have an opportunity to speak to him were slim to none. But beyond that, if you were awarded the opportunity 
to be in front of a king as a lowly peasant, if he didn't like what you had to say, he could kill you. Rather than ever look at you again or, or, or have to feed you ever again or pretend that you exist, the king could end your existence just because he's the king and you're just an item, your property of his. It's kind of like, uh, are you guys familiar with the show Shark Tank? So it's kind of like if you had to take everything that you had and this thing that you'd worked on and, and you had to take it before the sharks and you presented it to them and if they liked it, they'd bring you in and if they didn't, they'd just kill you. Like feed you to literal sharks. That would change the stakes of the game a little bit. I think it'd be pretty entertaining TV. Um, some of them might be better off. Not ha- no, I'm just kidding. But think about that for a moment. Think about going before your boss to pitch a new proposal, and if he didn't like it, you die. Think about going and being in that kind of situation. That's what was at stake every time you stepped before the king because of the way that he saw himself and because of the lack or little or no rights that you had in front of the king. When you are a slave under the king, your relationship with him is largely entirely almost, dependent on the quality of the service you provide. If you don't give the money you owe, if you don't do the job you're assigned, if you don't carry your part, he is likely to get rid of you because you aren't serving your purpose. The reality of scriptures, we study this, and this is hard for us sometimes, but that if it wasn't for God's grace, every time that we go before God, we'd be in the same situation as slaves before the king back in that time. Because the only thing we deserve in and of ourselves is death. Because of our sin, because of our messiness, because of our brokenness, when we go before God, Scripture makes it very clear that the punishment, the, the justice that our sin deserves is for us to be put to death. Meaning nothing that, no idea, no good thing, no good word that we bring before God can bring us out from underneath that penalty of death. That is the high king. That is the the fear and respect that should be put into place is that every time we go before God, that's what we deserve. And that should place a healthy fear in us as believers of saying, if that's really how things were, I need, there, there is a level of fear that comes into that relationship with God. However, there's one person that can go before the king without fear. And you go back into that kingdom and you go back into that castle and you go back to that king. The one person that could run into that room without fear was the king's son. The king's son could run in and ask anything of the king. He could climb into the king's lap. He could distract the king. This king's son had the heir to the kingdom. He was the next in line. He was the king's pride and joy. The king's son was safe to enter in to the throne room before the king. If you're a child of the king, your relationship with him is based on your inheritance of the kingdom. The reality that someday he will hand everything to you. So we have us as slaves. How as slaves are we set free in a kingdom status? There's two ways. And more accurately, there's two people. The only way that a slave receives freedom in a kingdom is for the king to grant him pardon, to to free him from his service, 
or for the king's son to go before the king as heir to the throne, as heir to the kingdom, as second in command, and ask for that slave's freedom. When the king, when the king's son takes over the kingdom, he has the ability to free anyone and everyone. And we see that happen in scripture, and we see that happen in history. I think it's important to make a little time out here because as we're talking about kingdoms and, and that being something that we don't fully understand, I think for a lot of us, this, this kind of slavery is also something that we don't understand because it's not something that we have experienced firsthand. It's not something that we've been born into. But in that day and age, in that kingdom mindset, you were born into that status and anything less than the king or his son was subject to the king. And what's so interesting about that, that us having that connection of like, yeah, but Brandon, but I'm not a slave. I'm not a slave that needs to be freed. I'm my own person. I'm an individual. I can do my own, I can take care of myself. What's so funny about us saying that is that's actually the same response that these people are having to Jesus as he's giving them this message, as he's giving them the message that this song comes from that we sang. And it's in John eight thirty six. It says this, starting in verse 31, sorry, in verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold my teaching, you are really my disciples. You are my followers. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And in response to being set free, the disciples responded, these followers responded to Jesus, and they said, We are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So just like they had never known literal slavery, and just like we have never known literal slavery, we can't overlook the fact that our sin and our life binds us to what Jesus is referring to as being enslaved. So what does that bind us to? What does that enslave us to? It enslaves us to this broken life. Our sin holds us captive It traps us in this cycle of guilt and shame that we feel like we can never escape, that we can never recover from, that we'll never get better. It traps us in anger and distrust of never being able to build healthy relationships with people because we know that they'll hurt us or we believe they'll let us down or we don't feel like we can ever truly trust someone with who we really are. Our sin creates barriers in our life that try to keep us from connecting with God. Scripture teaches us that God is the source of life and hope, of joy, of peace, He's the giver of all good and perfect things, but being separated from God further chains us to the pain of our sin. And again, just like the servant, the peasant going before the king, there is no amount of money, there are no right combination of words, there is no action or good deed we can perform that will erase our sin and eliminate us from that bondage. There is nothing we can do before the king to free ourselves from slavery. We were born slaves, we were born slaves to sin, and we were destined to be a slave. Unless that is the king's son decided to do something about our status. We were destined to be sin, to be slaves to our sin until Jesus went before his God, went before his king and interceded for us 
and, and ask for our freedom. Verse 35 of that earlier passage, Jesus says, Very truly I say to you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. The next verse says this, Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son, Jesus, if Jesus, if I the son set you free, you will be free indeed. Guys, just the hope of that message if you've bought in and you're following this Christian life and you're examining what scripture teaches and, you, and you're examining those things in your life that you know are holding you back, that you know are creating those, those huge chasms in your life that you don't know how to fill, when you examine the sin and you see the result that your sin has in your life and you are in that place like I have been, like I know many of you have been where you feel like I'll never get out from under this thing. Jesus reminds us of what he did. And he says, one, I went before the king as his son, as heir to the throne, as rightful king of the universe. I went before him and on your behalf asked for you to be freed from those things. And you guys have to understand that there's the struggle between things that I experience and things that I'm enslaved to. And we're all going to have hard times. We're all going to make bad decisions, but we're not enslaved to those things. That means that there's hope for freedom from the things that trap us, from the things that hold us down, from the things that tear our lives apart. There's freedom from that. From past hurts, from past addictions to current and future hurts, to current and future addictions, there's hope because God paid the price as Jesus to free us from that. So when we ask that question, God, who do you say I am? As this song says, as the sun sets free, is free indeed. The first thing God wants us to know is that we're free. That sin that you fall back into, you don't have to be trapped underneath. That thing that you feel has, has sunk its claws into you and won't let you go, you don't have to be enslaved to that. Jesus made sure of that. He provided a way out. So what is that way out? How do we go from being slave to being freed that's the easy part. That's just accepting the gift that Jesus has already given you. That's going, God, I, I, Jesus, I'm so thankful that you died for me. You paid that price for me. You paid the price for my sin where I deserve death and punishment before God. You went before God and instead you paid that death. And you set me free. I no longer owe the king my life. You set me free to choose how I want to live my life. Jesus paid the price for you to choose whether or not you're going to follow God. What I love about this, though, is that Jesus went a step further. Because the reality is he could have set us free, and he could have stopped there, and he could have said, you're pardoned of your sin, now go and, and live your life. You no longer have to live in fear of being punished for, by death for your sin. You don't have to live in fear of that. Go be free. But he went a step further. And guys, this blows my mind. This is so huge. Galatians 4 says this. But when the fullness of the time came, when it was the right time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And when we read that, the law, think, the law means the time that we were justified under God, or we were not justified under God because our sin meant death. You follow me on that? The law meant if we were not good enough, which no one is, we deserve death. That's the law. 
Jesus born under the law, born like us, born into the same situation that we were born into so that he might redeem those who were under the law, set them free, and then this part, that we might receive the adoption as sons and as daughters into God's family. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. And if you are a son, then you are an heir through God. We so flippantly throw around that phrase, child of God. It's a bumper sticker Christian phrase. We see it everywhere. We say it all the time. It's on Facebook, on every child of God. But do you see the significance of what that means? Jesus is the only heir to God's throne, saw us, paid the price for us, and then said, now I want you to be in my family and have right to the things that I have right to and be an heir to the kingdom that God has given to me. I want you to have the same access that I have to go before the king and to sit before his throne and to make my request known. Before, where we had to fear going before God because, well, all we deserved was death, Jesus adopted us into that family, and now we have the ability to go before God without fear. Because we're now his child, and like a good father, God desires desperately to take care of his children and to raise them the right way and to bring them close and to love them and to give them everything that they need. Jesus didn't die on the cross just so our sins could be forgiven. He isn't just the get out of jail free card. He died because he knew that if he, if he could erase our sin and clear our debt to God, that we could become family. That we could enter into the presence of God as his child. That we would have the same inheritance, an eternal kingdom where we get to reign with God. That's powerful. That's life-changing. So who does God say we are? God says that we're free because of what Jesus did. Secondly, God says that we're his child. We're his. We're in his family because of the price that Jesus paid. That's the how. I want to talk about the what. Again, what are we free from? What are we enslaved to? Because you are able to make your own decisions. You're able to do your own things. You're able to live your own life. Jesus paid the price for you to live whatever kind of life that you choose. But scripture weighs the balance. To choose away from God, to choose yourself, repeats. You're choosing to live in that cycle of shame and defeat and guilt and fear and anger and distrust. And that's the choice. And, and I have no better way to explain it. Guys, there's, there's, there's an epidemic right now in our culture that we're watching right before us of celebrities, of famous people who have everything, who are looked at and admired and loved for what they do in their craft and their skill, and they're committing suicide every week. It seems like every couple weeks we hear this new story of this new celebrity who's overdosed on drugs or has taken their life in some other form. And you have to sit there and wonder why on earth would they choose that? 
These were not people that had nothing and were down and out. They had everything. They'd pursued everything that this world could offer them and it was given to them and they were liked and loved by everyone that knew them. You think of guys like Robin Williams who brought so much joy to so many people and was loved as the comedian and life giver that he was. Why would people make the... Because the reality is, is they're choosing something that's apart from the life giver. They're choosing something that's apart from God who's the only thing that can sustain us in this life. And they're choosing this cycle of these inside pains and hurts that other people can't see that only God can heal. Because we are children of God, we are free from shame and guilt and condemnation and sin and even death. We're free from being defined by the voices of this world. And as you are close to Christ, you're even feared from the ultimate fear, which is death. What happens next? God answers that question. He says it gets better. In fact, it doesn't just get better after death. It gets perfect. So if that's what we're free from, I feel like there's a second question that we overlook all the time because some of us have gotten there. Some of us are still in this place of we're struggling with that sin and we don't know how to get rid of it and we're not sure we trust God to take it from us and we're not sure that we believe Jesus is who he says he is and, he, and that's okay. That's what we, this place is to find that out. It's to discover that. It's to ask those questions, to seek that out. But maybe you've moved past that and you have accepted that Jesus paid that price for you and you have accepted adoption into the kingdom and you have become an heir to God's throne. But there's a part two to that and that's that you not, you are not just freed from things, you are freed for things. What has God freed you for? Because a lot of us will spend all that time chasing just moving the sin out of our life and then we feel like we still have no purpose and we're still struggling with that same process. God has created a place for you to find purpose. God is a God of purpose. He moves and acts with motive. God freed us because he loves us. And he freed us for a purpose. Galatians 5, 13 through 14 says this. You, me, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh do not use your freedom to be about yourself. Do not use your freedom to take advantage of the gift that God has given you. Do not spoil your inheritance by doing whatever you want to do. It says this, rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. God didn't just free you so you could have escape from your sin. He freed you so that you would have a purpose of carrying on the same message that Jesus brought here and that's that you are worth it and you deserve to be loved and you deserve to be sacrificed for because I love you. And I feel like as Christians, as a whole, as all of us in general, we're pretty bad about that. We're very easily spoiled to say we're the believers, we're Christians, we're the, we're we the greatest. But God's saying that's not the point. 
The point, I freed you so that you can have purpose of continuing that love to the people around you, of being the humble servant that I asked my son to be. I, God, king in the highest, king of the universe, ask my son, heir to my kingdom, to come and be the lowest of lows and die the harshest of deaths so that I could show that I love you. And he turns that around and he says, so what are you doing to love other people now that you have this freedom? Now that you have my power and my authority behind you, now that you have my love and my support, now that you have access to hope and peace and joy beyond your wildest imaginations, what are you doing with that? How are you continuing the family that you're in? How are you growing the family that you're in? Love your neighbor as yourself. And we just have to ask ourselves that question, are we doing that? Once we've accepted that, if we've gotten to that place where we accept the hope and peace that God has offered in that freedom, are we doing what we need to do in our day? Are we being selfless enough to show the people around us, even the ones that are hard to love, that we love them? I have a small example of that that I'll share. Uh, I moved recently to a new apartment and... uh, We talk all the time about trying desperately not to be the person that rushes home, races into the garage, shuts the door, and never meets your neighbors, right? I am like the definition of that person and struggle a whole lot with that. So me too, okay? I get it. I struggle with that. I'm good about being up here and I can talk to you guys all morning, but when I go home, I want to go home. I don't want to talk to anybody for a while. I want it to be quiet. I want to do my thing. I want to be left alone. I I know it. I know you get that, okay? Okay. I've taken over doing some of the yard work at my apartment because it's a mess and they won't do it and that's a whole nother long story but I'm gonna do it. So I'm out there working on my yard and it's forced me to be outside and it's forced me to interact with my neighbors a little bit but but I have a neighbor that uh, doesn't have a computer and she's not gonna watch this but I'm gonna tell her about it later. But her name is Nancy and uh, Nancy flagged me down the other day and I met her as I was pulling weeds and pulled some weeds in her area even though that's just another long story. I'll get there later but And Nancy started talking to me and telling me a little bit about her story and, and told me how she just lost her, her children and uh, she just received her daughter's ashes and how she doesn't really have anybody left here and she's wheelchair bound and she can't really help herself and can't do the things that she needs to do there. And You know, I realized as, as selfish as I am of, of me wanting my own time, I've got somebody about 100 feet from my front door that just needs to be loved that just needs to be reminded, she's, and she's not a believer, but needs to be reminded that there's hope, that somebody out there loves her enough that he did all this for her too. Not just for me, not just for you, but for her too. And the crazy thing is the sacrifice that I have to give is about 10 minutes of attention. That's it right now. Change the light bulb every now and then. Be friendly, smile, ask her how to date. I can show love to somebody 10 minutes sacrifice of my time. Sometimes God calls you to do much more. But are we even willing to do that? Are you willing to give 10 minutes? I'm not, trust me guys, I'm not pointing the finger at you, okay? I'm with you on this. But I walked away from that as a reminder with God whispering into my ear and speaking into me, hey, it's what I made you for. Sacrifice your time. Put yourself out of your comfort zone and love somebody. 
because that's the way that they're going to get to know me. There is no well-put-together message. There is no perfect combination of words. There's no special prayer. When we love people, they see Jesus, and when they see Jesus, they buy in. That's the strategy he has for us. Are we loving our neighbor? Are we loving our coworkers? Are we loving our family so that they can see Jesus in us? My last challenge to that before we start closing up today and ending with our last point. Are we doing the things to look like Jesus so that we can love people the way Jesus has asked us to love him? Guys, if you're not spending time with him and we're not praying and we're not reading and we're not coming and hearing his word and we're not gathering together in our life groups and supporting each other, if we're not doing the things to take care of ourselves and foster a loving Jesus-like heart, we're not gonna have it in us to love that person the way they need to be loved when it's time to love them that way. It's the same way that if you wanna run a marathon but you don't train the day the marathon gets there, you're not gonna be able to run it. You're not going to finish. You're not going to do it well. It's going to hurt you. And, and, and in this instance, it, it might hurt the person that you're trying to love. Don't wait for the opportunity to prepare your heart to love someone. Be doing that week in and week out. Be preparing because you don't know when that moment's going to come. And again, God's not asking for anything crazy. He's not asking for anything outlandish. He's just saying, the same way you give Nancy 10 minutes, if you're willing to do that, let's start. How about you give me 10 minutes today? Just give me 10 minutes. Give me 10 minutes where I can speak to you and encourage you and challenge you and lift you up and remind you that you're my child. Remind you of who I say you are, not who they say you are. Challenge yourself to find that that time we call chair time where you space everything out for as long as you can manage, just a minute. And prepare your heart so that God can use you to love somebody else that you encounter. Do that. Challenge yourself to that. All right, our last point. It's going to be on the screen. This is important. Our relationship to God does not change his identity. Our relationship to God changes our identity. What do I mean by that? God is God no matter what. God is not different based on what you think about him or how you feel about him. God is who he says he is, and he's God. But whether or not you follow him, whether or not you choose to be a good child, whether or not you choose to be an heir to his throne, does change your identity. And let me set this illustration up like this. Our fathers define us in a lot of ways. As much as we may not like to admit it, they do. The presence of a father or the absence of an earthly father defines our lives. Having a good father defines our life. Having a bad father defines our life. Having a bad father, so many people live in that constant challenge of he said I'm worthless and he said I'm this and he said I'll never amount to anything, I'm no good. And I'm gonna spend my life trying to prove him wrong that I'm not that. And that starts your story and defines part of who you are. Or maybe it helps define your life because you say, you know what, he is right and I am worthless and I'll never amount to anything and I'm just gonna settle to live my life that way. And that dad has changed your life. Maybe you were blessed to have a great dad. And he taught you strength and he taught you humility and he taught you love and compassion. He taught you how to serve people, how to love people well. 
Maybe you had a great dad and you would guarantee to yourself and to everyone else that having a great dad has helped define who you are today. Whether or not you had a good dad or a bad dad, the point of this message today is to tell you that you have a perfect dad that wants to love you and wants to be in a relationship with you. And he may not seem real to you, but I promise that's because you're just not close enough to him to feel it. And we complain so much about not being able to feel our God and how our God rejects us and our God's not close to us. And he's just saying, listen, I'm right here. My identity has not changed. But if you're not gonna seek me and you're not gonna spend time with me and you're not gonna learn the things that I'm trying to teach you, guys, you can have the best earthly dad in the world, but if you reject him and run away from him, he's never gonna be able to teach you anything. And God's saying, I can get you there. I can get you to that place. I can give you those things you're looking for, but you gotta give me some time. You gotta listen. Parents, don't you wish sometimes your kids would just listen? If they would just take your advice and they would just listen, their life would be so much easier. We're no different. God's sitting there saying, I've lined it out. If you would read it and you would learn it and you would live it out, your life would be so different. Your life would be so much more I'm not going to say it'd be easier, but it'd be so much more than it is now. God is a perfect father, and I need to embrace his definition of me. And that's where that hole in my heart is filled. That's where that lack of substance and purpose is filled when I embrace the definition that my perfect heavenly father has set for me. Have you ever uh, complimented a small kid something along the lines of like, oh, you're so pretty or you're so smart or you're so good at that, you're so fast. And the response is, I know, I'm awesome at this, right? Not thank you or oh, that's so gracious of you or oh, so kind of you or like, oh no, that's not possibly true. Someone else is surely faster. They're like, no, I'm the fastest there is. I'm the prettiest there is. That's not out of this prideful, arrogant place. That's out of this innocence of they've, it's never crossed their mind that they're not who their parents have said they are. They've grown up hearing from their dad, their good dad, that they're smart and they are worth it and they are talented and they are loved. They're beautiful. And they've just never questioned that there's any reason to think otherwise. We were all there at some point if you had a good dad, if you had a good mom. And somewhere along the way, others people, other people's voices started breaking into that. And they started trying to redefine what our good parents said that we are. Guys, growing close to Christ, I promise you, the only guarantee I can make, growing close to Christ gets you closer to that place of innocence where you believe that you are who God says you are. And when the world tries to speak up and say, no, you're this, or you're not good enough, or you'll never, you go, no, I'm not, I'm what he said. I'm loved. I'm loved beyond my wild, I have peace. I have hope beyond my wildest imagination. I'm that. Because I know my dad, and I'm close to him. I love him, and I let him remind me every day. That's our identity. We're going to read this last passage and we're going to close in prayer. 
It's Romans 8, starts in verse 18. You can read it on the screen with me. It says this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but out of the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to the, to the lib, liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up into this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, God's children, his creation, we have the first fruits of the Spirit and we are still groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption into sonship, for the redemption of our bodies. For this is the hope that we were saved. Real quick before we finish that. God knows this is hard and this is what he's describing. He says, listen, the whole creation's in turmoil. My physical creation, the earth, is groaning for my return. And guys, I know that you're struggling and I know that it's hard and I know that I'm, I'm having to teach you from a very far away method right now, but there's a day coming where I'm gonna be with you. There's a day coming where I'm gonna send my son who liberated you from, who liberated you from slavery and who brought you into my family. I'm gonna send him back and he's gonna get you and he's gonna bring you literally into my presence. But it's gonna be hard until that day. It's not going to be easy to be my child. But he says, while we wait, it's for this hope that we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they have already, who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. I know that it's hard to hear sometimes about how good God is because it's in contrast to how hard life is. Trust me, I understand. But it's those opportunities, it's those moments, and it's hard to see pain as an opportunity, but it is. And as we're able to walk through those moments of pain, those moments of opportunity, God gives us something that is greater than we can imagine, and that's hope for when he returns. Because if there is no fear of death, if there's no fear of condemnation, if there's no fear of abandonment, we have nothing to fear. God says, if I gave you all of those things right now, it'd be really hard for you to hope for them. So I'm holding some things. I'm teaching you about them, but I'm holding for them because as life gets hard, I want you to focus on this. And when this moment comes, I'm going to make everything right again. I'm going to fix all those broken wounds. I'm going, to fix, I'm going to fix you. But for now, let me teach you and let me grow you and let me prepare you for the hard things to come. Let me be a good dad. The band's going to come up here in just a minute and we're going to sing a song that we've sang so many times about how we are no longer slaves to fear. And that's what God's underlining this. Don't have to be scared anymore. I'm coming. I'm coming. I promise I'm coming. And until I get there, rest in me and rest in these things that I can give you right now. Make a difference. Have a purpose. Love people. And then I'm going to make it all good again.
just like a good dad wants to when the time is right. Let's pray. God, it is so hard so many days for me to wake up and genuinely believe I am who you say I am. And that's not because you're not enough, God, and it's not because you don't continue to reach out and love me. But it's because I'm ashamed. And I'm so easily convinced by the voices of this world, by, by Satan, I'm so easily convinced that I'm not worth your love. And that so easily pushes me away from you where I want to run and I want to hide and I want to bury myself in busyness in distractions in complacency so that I don't have to think about how messy I am but like a good father doesn't abandon his child God you will not abandon me and you have promised me no matter what I do no matter how many mistakes I make no matter how many times I wander that you're there with open arms to welcome me home with no condemnation, with no judgment, just love and grace. God, you're there to welcome me home with a plan to prosper me and grow me and prepare me for things to come. God, when I return to you after broken seasons, you're there to surround me with people who love me, who want to be my earthly family who want to love me and sacrifice for me the way that you do. God, I pray that I can be like that to the people around me in my life, that I will focus enough on you and sacrifice for you and grow that relationship with you that when people look at the way I treat them, they see you. God, I want to be a good son. I want to be a good son from the gift that you have given me to be a good part of your family, to carry your name well. When people hear Jesus and see my life, I want them to think good things. I want them to see your strength. I want them to see your goodness. God, I want them to see your compassion in a world that's lost compassion for people. God, I want them to see your selflessness in a world that has become so selfish. Father, if we would follow you and commit to being your children, we would stand out in such a way that would change this church, would change Colorado Springs. God, it would cause a ripple effect across the nation. God, you could change this world from people in this room who would decide to live up to being a son or a daughter of you. Challenge us, God. Convict us. Press us to lean into you and to love you more. To grow closer to you so that we can feel that relationship. God, again, lastly, I just thank you for grace. Despite what so many churches say, all of us are broken and messy and we'll never be anything more than broken and messy except for being your child. And to you, that's enough. Being your child is enough for you. And when we fall and when we stumble, when we say hurtful things, when we doubt you, we question you, we're still enough because we're your child and you love us and you'll never leave us. 
God, I pray that if there's anyone, anyone in this room that just needs to talk to you for a minute, that needs some help praying, that has some questions, God, that I pray you give them the courage just to come talk for a minute, to come relate, to come connect with another messy, broken person that's trying to figure it out, but who has trusted Jesus, who has given the keys over so they can hear the story and the hope that only you can bring. Father, we lift all of these things up to you in your name. 